All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Dabs and Duke. Once again, I'm sorry I have not published the last episode by the time we're recording this one. Anyways, today we do not have a guest. We are doing something, uh, a new series we're going to start every time there's a break in Marvel content. Uh, Jeremy and I, today's going to be a little different, but going forward, Jeremy and I are going to have a series of randomized movies uh, that we, we're just going to throw them all in like a randomizer and we'll see how it falls from there. Today, we're not, it's not randomized. We chose the specific movies uh, just because we were short on time by the time we decided to do this. And we're going to do a synopsis of it because obviously we started this podcast 23 movies in in the middle of WandaVision so we want to do our due diligence to those first 23 movies absolutely 100%. so yeah today I'm gonna be recapping Iron Man Ant-Man and Thor and Jamie what three are you recapping Ant-Man and the Wasp Iron Man 2 and Doctor Strange all right so let's start Do you want to kick it off for me? Um, I'll start. I'll, I'll do Iron Man since that was the, the first one. And then uh, if you want to do Iron Man 2 after that or whatever, I mean, yeah. it's up to you. we don't really need to go in chronological order. Okay. That sounds perfect. I actually like that. All right. Start, start with the OG. All right. So Iron Man starts. So really Iron Man's character arc, and we talked about this last week with Matt Foote when I was fighting him about cap he's got such a unique character arc because it's the most drastic character arc of any hero i would say i I would i would say he because obviously he starts out just being so selfish and he's like a warmonger and he's he's you know he provides weapons to people and he's he's running this big weapons company that his dad started in world war ii which you know World War II was, that was a time when real life and I guess MCU as well, when America was fighting wars for the sake of justice, right? And and at the point where Tony's in it, it's really not as much fighting for justice as much as just fighting for resources and things like that. Mm-hmm. So Tony goes overseas, movie starts, he's in the, the caravan and he gets hit with a stark rocket and that's what changes his whole perspective so so really his firsthand experience is what makes him decide to like turn things around then you know we go back in time to see like the previous night he's you know being a playboy partying up hooks up with the journalist from vanity fair i believe then the next day you know he gets on the the ship and he meets roadie and they party it up on the ship and he still just kind of doesn't give a shit. He gets to the country and he shows off his rocket, his new uh, Jericho project. And then that's when he get on the way back. That's when he gets hit. And that's, that's really, that's where the whole MCU starts is Tony realizing, I mean, obviously MCU starts with, you know, 
Steve Rogers way back then, but modern MCU starts with Tony realizing that he's what he's doing is wrong and changing his mind and shutting down the weapons program. He meets Yinsen, who helps him out in the cave. And then we find out Yinsen's family's dead. So Yinsen the entire time really was just looking for Tony to help Tony be able to escape and do right by everybody. And Tony does. And Yinsen dies and tells Tony, I'm going to see my family now. They're dead. And that's when Tony returns home to shut down the weapons program. And that's, that's how Iron Man's born. Obviously, he, he decides he needs to create a better suit. He gets home to his technology, makes the mm-hmm. better suit, flies overseas, and takes out all those other weapons. Mm-hmm. And he saves the Yinsen's home because he's just upset that there were people like terrorizing Yinsen's, re- not relatives, I guess, but neighborhood. Yeah, and then we go from there because then he is Iron Man. Obviously, the Obadiah Stane still wants to be a war profiteer making money he wants to be famous he wants to be the head of the company he's pissed off that tony took over and now he's even more pissed off because tony is shutting down the main profit for stark industries because tony much like robert downey jr now is looking in the green energy and he wants he'd rather focus creating than destroying and in doing so, he creates the Iron Man suit, which you'll get to this when we talk when you talk about Iron Man 2 here. But his creation of the Iron Man suit is what he, he, he talks about privatizing world peace, you know. He he's now focused on peace. And he makes a joke at the beginning where he says, I'd be out of job with peace. And and toward the end of the movie, you see that's all he wants. Still very egotistical, still drops the I am Iron Man bomb, which was the greatest ad lib in the history of MCU, probably all time. Mm, easy. It, like just the way, the way he looks into the camera and says it, and it's just a perfect moment. And Downey knew the character, like one movie in, he knew his character mm. as well as he did 23 movies. And, you know, like perfect. Mm. And, yeah. And there were other little things they threw in there. Like when he gets the cheeseburger, I found out he gets it from Burger King. And that was a, a nod that I believe Favreau put in there because Downey said his lowest point after um, like being on drugs and things like that. He went to Burger King and ate a burger and he said it was the most disgusting thing he ever had. And that's what made him decide to turn his life around. Mm. So they put that in there. Wow, yeah, people forget that essentially before Marvel was introduced to Robert Downey Jr., he was on the downward spiral. Like yeah. he wasn't, people weren't trying to give him work because he was just, he was almost like the the butt of all jokes in the 90s because he was just like such a, he was tweaking. Right. Like he was just bugging out. Yeah, he started off young. He started off acting young. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like you said, he, he's bugging out and he was on drugs and just doing like weird shit. He got arrested. Mm-hmm. And and then he early 2000s, he started to turn around again. Started making a couple more movies, a couple like low-key movies. Um, one was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is my favorite movie uh, that he made with Shane Black. And because he made that movie with Shane Black 
And that movie he has credited for kind of turning his career around as well. He got Shane Black the deal to direct Iron Man 3. Mm. So, Interesting. Um, yeah. And then, and then he cameoed in another Shane. Uh, which, what movie was it? The Nice Guys, the one with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. Mm. He cameoed in that as just like a dead guy. But yeah, so like that relationship's real interesting. Just like the whole turnaround, like him being Iron Man, like obviously he had like a slow build to it, but the fact like once he took on that role, it changed it. Like that was the new arc of his life. In addition to the new arc that we see Tony get, Robert Downey Jr. also gets a redemption arc here. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And that's just a position. That was interesting. Yeah. And that's like what he is now. That's that's what he his defining role is Iron Man. Mm -hmm. That and Tropic Thunder. Well, yeah, but. (laughs) (laughs) Both for very different reasons. (laughs) So did you, did you feel the same way about Iron Man uh, this past time that you watched it, that you did the first however many times you saw it? The first time I saw it, I was really young. I was like, 10 years old or something like 11 years old because like that's when it came out and i just didn't really care because this was like before the establishment of the whole marvel universe like he wasn't like a huge superhero right like at that point like i only knew a couple i knew like the fantastic four spider-man hulk like anybody that already made a movie about pretty much were the only like marvel heroes i really knew and i was like oh this is cool like iron man I'll, i'll see what this is about and i was just like the beginning is like a lot of war it is like a lot of just like weapons and stuff like that and I was like bored out of my skull as an 11 year old just watching like a military movie. And then he suits up as Iron Man. I was like, okay, this is badass. And like, so like the second half of the movie I loved. And now watching it, like it is all around entertaining. It's a top five Marvel movie and it's the OG and it's just phenomenal all around. It's, mm-hmm. it's such a great story because obviously, you know, 23 movies and two shows in and we see the full arc but like tony's arc in just that first movie is like a very solid change like that's a huge leap like it's it's his leap in that is pretty equal and i'll talk about this later too to thor's leap in the first thor the problem with thor is once he makes his leap in the first one he's kind of the same guy throughout gets stronger gets like more wise but doesn't really change yeah yeah i would agree with that and so like with tony it's he's always changing he changes from from iron man to endgame and i just think it's like a fantastic start to the universe and it's a fantastic start to the character any cons at all I feel like them just not knowing how vast this universe was going to be, like when they started everything, like obviously they knew they wanted to make an Avengers movie, but like not knowing what they wanted to do after that really started. Cause they, like they kind of plotted out their first course. They plotted like Iron Man, Hulk, Iron Man 2, Thor and Captain America. And then the Avengers. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they had anything planned really for after that until they got to Avengers and they were like, Oh, we got to expand this now. So I think the only f- fault which i don't even think i wouldn't even consider this a fault i would honestly say it helps the movie um so it's not a con really it's like just the fact that they 
were not aware of the larger universe it was about to become. But I think it helps because a big critique a lot of people had about Ant-Man was the scene where Falcon shows up because they said Ant-Man was nearly a standalone movie that didn't need any other Avengers to be in it. Mm-hmm. And then that scene with Falcon, like they criticized it because like there's the everything is universe building argument. And I get it. Like I get that like people would rather just see like a standalone superhero movie than having to have it connect. But I don't think that scene, the thing with, for me is like, I don't think that scene weighs that much on the, like, I don't think you have to have seen any of the other Marvel movies to understand that Falcon's an important character, part of the Avengers and that Scott's not supposed to be there. And I'll get to that when I talk about Ant-Man, but, but I think like the fact that Iron Man's the first one, yes, it's not aware of the fact what it's about to start, but also in doing that, you get one post-credit scene with Nick Fury and that's the only tie to the rest of the Marvel universe. So I wouldn't even say there's a con really. I would say, I would say like that it's one of the better movies. Like it's the, it's for me, it's the two Captain America movies, the two Thanos movies and Iron Man are probably the top five. Okay. Well, moving on to Iron Man 2. um, I definitely agree with you that if we're just looking at a character arc being fleshed out throughout someone's <laughs> trio or duo of movies, no one tops Iron Man. And this, this Iron Man 2 is, there's no better example of someone um, going from the heights and depths than, than this movie. Like start off pretty much essentially this movie to me is Tony. First of all, I just want to start by saying I feel like he's more arrogant in Iron Man 2 than he is in Iron Man Absolutely. 1. In Iron Man 2, he's just wild. Like he's he's dying. He's got it. Yeah, like, he like he does not give a fuck. So he's <laughs> just on this downward spiral. Like his speech in front of the Senate and Justin Hammer, where he was like, oh. Yeah, privatized world peace. They're the peace sign. Everyone's clapping. He's talking shit on his way out. Like Robert Downey Jr. fucking he nailed the essence of Tony Stark fully in Iron Man 2 to me. And um, as high as I am on Iron Man, the first one, the second one, I feel like is a prisoner of its era that it came out in. I feel like if I was my age and saw it in 2010 when it came out, I would have liked it a lot more, Uh you know? Right. Um, but since I'm looking at it through the lens of 2018, which is when I saw it for the first time, mm-hmm. and 2021, it's very, um, narratively, it's very aged, in my opinion. Um, I do love Fury's introduction to the MCU, <laughs> of course. Mm-hmm. That's super pivotal. Um, Natasha, clearly, very pivotal. Uh, again, I like the character arc that we see in him handing over the reins to Pepper, finally as CEO, and her realizing that she's in over her head and you know trying to give it back. And they had that whole spat and Rhodey uh, <laughs> transforming from a light skinned black man to a dark skinned black man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, 
And really, I think that the major thing that really separates Iron Man 2 from any other movie in the trilogy is the fact that it establishes why the government wants to control superheroes. This is like the movie where all this really leads to us getting the Sokovia Accords later on in the MCU. So essentially the whole movie is just him. The real villain is the government, but you have Ivan Vanko and his father Anton Vanko and him working with Howard Stark back then and him getting slighted by him and shipped back off and he gets into an alcoholic tizzy and essentially just falls off the map. But I feel like the movie in a way props that up more. And it kind of, in a way you kind of lose sight of the fact that, okay, who is the real villain in this movie? You know, it doesn't really have an established villain or it thinks that it's one thing, but it's really not that. And meanwhile, you have Justin Hammer on the side, like there's just too much, there's way too many villains and neither of them really pose an immediate threat you know they're very they're not powerful villains to me and I know that we've talked about before that like Marvel has they have a villain complex it's interesting like either their villains are very they're very multi-dimensional and they're ambiguous or they're very rigid and one-dimensional and I feel like in Iron Man 2 they're just Nothing about the villainy really stood out to me. The ending, just with the way that they defeat Ivan Banco, was just not, it was very anticlimactic to me. It's kind of rushed. I was going to ask you, did you think it was anticlimactic? Yeah, it was just like, they could have done so much more with like, the whole scene with him and Rhodey in the forest taking on the drones was sick. Like, that was great. But just for the antithesis to be, Oh, you guys got me. Oh, I'm, I set a bomb. Like, okay, I guess. And then, yeah. of course, Tony saves Pepper. Like, that's very, it's very predictable to me. The drone scene was like an appropriate amount of time. Like, I thought it was like a well done thing. But, like you said, anticlimactic. Like, do you, do you like wish Vanko would have been like throwing them around more? Like, kind of, it would have been more back and forth? He's, yeah. I think that, well, that's that's a dilemma because you can't I feel like again it being a prisoner of the air you can't have him be too powerful because keep in mind to have two other villains in the movie you have Justin Hammer and you have um the government trying to take Tony's suit and ultimately control superheroes so they couldn't really find a way to write that in and be like okay he's going to be super powerful but he wasn't I feel like in 2010, he was a fleshed out villain. But when you look at the scope of the MCU, he's not really like, okay, his father was slighted and now he's like, fuck Tony. Like, that's very simplistic. So simplistic. Like, if you were to teach a bot how to write a comic book movie, that's the movie it would write. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like even with that simplicity, they don't, I feel like the heartfelt moments that we were really supposed to feel like him, 
you know, not really knowing his father and kind of being envious of the fact that Fury knows more about Howard than he does. And he just looked at Howard as someone who just shat on him his whole life and wouldn't be able to hold up the mantle. Um, they, they make you empathize with Tony, but the resolution of him finding out that, you know, my dad actually believed in me was kind of hokey to me. Like he just, He's seen this video. First of all, he's seen the video multiple times, but this one time he just happens to watch more of it and sees the message at the end. Like, mm. I don't know. It just seemed that might have been more of a nitpicky thing. Again, looking at it from the guise of 2021 lens, but it was just like, okay. I, I feel like if I would have seen the video a couple of times, I probably would have seen all of it. Right. You know? Yeah, so. I, do th- I do think it's a little hokey. I think. Like to me, I honestly, I think that I think the whole when he brings the strawberries to Pepper and then takes like the dia, the diorama or whatever it is, mm-hmm. to me that is like the pivotal point of the movie. Like that's the best part of the movie to me. I feel you. But I do think that it's kind of a cop out, like just having him watch, you know, an extra five minutes of the video and there's his dad. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. I agree. Yeah, that could have been so much more heartfelt. Like yeah. I, I know that that's what they wanted to communicate to the audience, but it wasn't. I felt, I said, ah, but like, it wasn't, I didn't feel it completely. I, th- I didn't feel the gravitas. What but. I think they could have done is just had Colson drop off a box of like other tapes that Tony had never watched before. Mm-hmm. And that would have given the same effect without making it like, oh, this is just, if Tony had only watched five minutes more of this tape, he's watching forever. Right, right. Because clearly he had time. He was trapped there. He couldn't go anywhere or else Colson would uh, <laughs> tase him. <laughs> and while he drew us in the cupboard, he would watch some show like yeah yeah he he had time to do that so yeah that didn't fully land for me but even with my gripes with Iron Man 2 I think it's a very consequential film um even if it's not consequential in its villains that it gives us the overarching theme of um again the the government wanting to get a grasp on superheroes begins in Iron Man 2. That's the seed. It's planted in Iron Man 2. And um, yeah, I mean, that, uh, Justin Hammer's dancing. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Tony telling the DJ, DJ to throw on some tunes to be his buddy's ass to where uh, the top three just moments for me. That, yeah. Justin Hammer's dancing, dude. I, you know, I like just watched Iron Man 2 not that long ago either. And mm-hmm. I noticed Justin Hammer's dancing, but I was just like, it's just so cringy. Like more cringy, like, like more cringy than Peter. We were talking about this earlier. It's more cringy than Peter Parker in Spider Man 3. Like, because Peter is at least like, that's the vibe at the moment is Peter's just being like an arrogant douche. And Justin, yeah. Justin Hammer is an arrogant douche. But, like, mm-hmm. the dancing is corny, but, like, not bad. Hammer's dancing is corny and bad. You like, think the dancing no... is bad? I think it, the funny part is when I saw it, I was like, <laughs> yo, maybe he does. Maybe it's just the way he's, I, maybe it's just the way he's, like, talking through the whole dance. Like, mm-hmm. he, like, I think that's what throws it off for me. I don't necessarily think the dancing itself is bad. I just think him, like, talking through the whole dance makes it, like, seem like he's he's trying to compensate for the fact that he's not a good dancer 
I feel you. Yeah, he is like talking. But the funny part is that Sam Rockwell actually dances in real life. Like yeah. he's actually a solid dancer. Uh-huh. So I just found it funny that he like kind of inserted that into Iron Man too. Yeah, I but love yeah. I love Sam Rockwell. Um, yeah, they're talking about possibly bringing him back for Thunderbolts, but we'll see. I would like that. That's what I. I, I mean. that. Yeah. I mean that. Yeah, he wasn't a bad. I mean, he wasn't a bad villain. He was just. He was the best villain in that movie, in my opinion. He was the, yeah. I mean, they, again, the movie didn't know who they wanted to be at the forefront of the villains. Like, right. I thought, they, go ahead. No, you go. Oh, I just about to say, like, you have some scenes where they prop him up with him meeting Ivan and, like, trying to have him create Jones. And then other scenes you have them propping the government up with the whole Senate hearing and all over CNN and all these news stations. The senator is talking about it, who oddly looks like Donald Trump in a weird way. And then in other scenes, you have them trying to prop Ivan up. So they just didn't know who to commit to. Did you, did you like Mickey Rourke in that movie? I hated Mickey Rourke in that movie. I thought he was just not... I thought there were parts where he was like good in it, but I just thought it was like... just I didn't love his villain. Like I didn't love Vanko, but on top of that, like it was just... I thought it wasn't, like you said, wasn't fleshed out well. And I thought he said, whenever you talk about his fucking bird, like my board, and he would say it every five <laughs> minutes and it was annoying as hell. <laughs> and then he would always speak Russian and Justin Hammer would be like, bro, I don't speak Russian. Right. Like, I, Which, don't, yeah. I thought that was funny. Like, I thought that was like a funny bit, like that Ivanka mm-hmm. would get pissed off at mm-hmm. Hammer. He would just start talking Russian instead. Yeah. That movie was like just a. It was so strange. Like, they had a lot going on. Maybe that's his downfall. It just had too much going on. Like, like Spider-Man 3? Yeah, it just had a lot going on. Like, they were trying to fill a whole bunch of different brackets. And, like, they only, in my opinion, got half of them. Right. Correct. I think, I think Pepper taking CEO is probably the best storyline. Pretty much. The, the most well-fleshed-out storyline. Pretty much. That and... um. Of course, Tony, Tony that, dying. Tony dying, and the introduction of Fury, honestly. Those three are the most pivotal parts of the movie. Yeah. I, the introduction of Fury is amazing. Okay. I, think, I think they're going to talk about that in What If. I think Tony says no to being part of the Avengers in What If. Really? Because they didn't say Downey's going to be in it. And there's like a scene where Iron Man's just eating a donut, like he's where he's sitting in the donut. Iconic shot, by the way. Yes, very much so. And I think what's going to happen in What If is Fury's going to come up like and say, like, I need you to step out of the donut. And then he, like, has a conversation and Tony just goes, no, and walks away. Maybe not. I could be wrong. (laughs) But we'll see. Yeah, that'd be interesting. But, yeah, I pretty much feel the same way about Iron Man 2 that I did the first time I watched it a few years ago. This isn't bad. It's not terrible, but... You know. I think it's I think it's bottom five, honestly. Bottom five of the whole MCU, huh? Yeah. Eh, I, I might give it a little boost because certain things, of course, if you look at all 23 movies and two shows, they have consequence. So I might right. boost it like a couple spots. Well, that's why I have it as number five, like net five from the bottom. Okay. Like I, I want to say it's Thor. I, I had it at six and then I watched Thor the other day and I was like, nah, Thor's better. So I bumped Thor over it. But Thor 2 is the last one, then Hulk. Mm. I think Ant-Man and the Wasp. I gotta look at this. Mm. Which, 
No, it can't be a man of the wasp. I like that too much to have it be that low. I say that was my favorite movie out of the three I watched. Oh, that's what it was. It was Ultron. So it's okay. last is Thor two, then Hulk, Age of Ultron, Guardians two, Iron Man two, are okay. the bottom five. Okay, I feel you. I'm mad at it. All right, you want to move on to Thor? Uh, yeah. Kick it off. Actually, wait, what was the other one you had? You had. Doctor I Strange. had, yeah, Doctor Strange and Ant-Man and the Wasp. If you want, I can right. hop into um, I'll do Thor, and then you want to do Doctor Strange? Yep. Okay. All right, so Thor, his character development throughout the whole thing is also pretty, like, expedited through one movie, like I was saying earlier. He obviously starts off as this, like, kind of arrogant. He knows he's going to be the king. He's about to be the king, and then, like, literally as he's about to be, Loki lets the frost giants in so that they can stop him from becoming king. So Thor gets mad at that and he wants to go attack the frost giants because it shows ever since he was a little kid, he was always looking for war, even though Odin said, you know, never seek out war. We only seek out peace. And then if we need to, we got to be ready for war, but we can't seek it out. So Thor, you know, he gets cast out, gets hit by a car, finds Jane. Shield comes and takes all Jane's stuff. Like, but Thor is like now learning the ways of Earth. Like, people that used to worship the Asgardians have not seen them in thousands of years. Now they're all just myths. And Thor has got to learn to cope on Earth. He doesn't know that they don't have horses willingly available to ride in a pet store. He doesn't know that when you go to a diner, you can't just smash your coffee mug on the ground. And so he's like adapting the Earth, which is like comical, like it's funny, but. On top of that, he's learning how to deal without having powers. Like, like he's starting to care more about his actions because if he messes up, he can no longer just, you know, hit everybody with a hammer and call it a day. Mm-hmm. So then Odin, you know, goes into a coma and Loki takes the throne. And Heimdall is the best character in the movie. Easily. Easily. Like, he's just... So it starts out, he's, like, always, like, obeying the king. Like, even though he doesn't necessarily always agree, just that's what he does. And, like, he says, he tells him you can't go. Um, But then he says, somebody slipped my watch. Like, at the beginning, because he's complex, right? Like, at the beginning, he says, like, nobody slipped my watch until today. I don't know how it happened. Please find out. So he, like, lets him go. They And then they come back, and obviously Heimdall's still there. And then we find out Loki snuck in the Frost Giants using magic. Then later, when Loki tells the Warriors 3 and Sif that they can't go to Earth to save Thor, he's he's just like, I forget how he phrases it. Oh, he says, like, I can't disobey the king. And he just leaves the sword in the Bifrost thing mm-hmm. and just lets them use it to go to Earth. Just such a great character. And, like, it's funny. Like, his, like things he does are funny without being obviously funny like when he leaves the sword and just walks away that's pretty funny moment not like obvious like when jane hits thor with the car twice but like but funny still and and just he's a complex character because he does want to obey the king but he also has his own personal moral which he's like we find out odin's got more complex morals down the line too because odin now with his age and wisdom is more you know very much like hand of justice doesn't like doesn't stray from where he is but like then we find out in 
Thor three that he used to be like a dick who would just kill everybody. Mm-hmm. But but in the first one, it's definitely Heimdall. It just like I I forgot how the reason I moved it above Iron Man two, I forgot how like well rounded they started. So many of the characters, Loki, great character, um, Lady Sif, great character. Like the Warriors three are kind of just her team, in my opinion. Like they're there just to fight, and they're Thor's friends. But Sif is like the captain of that team. And we see that like when they're fighting the destroyer at the end. And mm. she she kills the destroyer. I think she's a good character. Um, I don't really I think my favorite character from Earth is tells the guy's name. It's uh Skarsgard plays him. Oh, um terrible uh, with names. I know exactly who you're talking about, of course. Yeah, um, the old guy. Now I have to look it up. It's gonna drive me crazy. Eric. Eric Selvig. Yeah. Selvig. I think I think he's a pretty well-rounded character. I don't think like Jane. I don't think she's too. I think she's pretty. She's just a scientist, you know. Like I don't. I don't think in this one. I think in the next one, Thor two. I think she gets a little more complex. But I think the first one really she's just a scientist who happens to find Thor. Yeah, she's very one-dimensional for sure. Yeah. That's kind of, not to cut you off, that's kind of my problem with the first story. I feel like, oddly enough, everyone, Heimstyle, um, Loki, Odin, are more fascinating to me than Thor, in a weird way. Thor, I completely agree with you. I, I, I that's could not agree more. I was watching and I was just like, man, Thor is the main character, but like, I don't really have a connection to Thor. Yeah. I, I don't care. Like, Loki, obviously, is the villain, but I like him as the villain, right? Like, he's very multifaceted, multidimensional. Like, Heimdall, like I said, very multidimensional. Sif, kind of one, like, kind of one-dimensional, but she's still, like, a badass, right? Like, whereas, like, the Warriors 3 are very one-dimensional. They're just kind of there to fight with Thor, always stand by Thor. And mm-hmm. Sif's similar, but it's just, they made her stand out. Like, when... Thor's going to all of them and he's talking about like, oh, who did this? Who did this? Who did this? And they're all mm-hmm. like, oh, you did, you did, you did. And then he's like, and who proved that like a woman could do this and fight by our side? And she's like, I did. <laughs> and he's like, right, but I was right beside you. Like, I I just think she's a great character and I'm glad she's coming back for this next one. And I think like they they did more with her on Age of the Shield that's now non-canon, but like to make her even more of a badass. And I think she and they they like fleshed her out more about like how she always wanted to be with Thor and never got to be and like the one villain um what's her name I don't remember it was in season one in the dogs of hell episode mm. but she's like she's got power over men anyways she like makes fun of Sif for never being able to like be with Thor um so ultimately that's kind of who I want him to end up with in this next Thor movie I don't think it's gonna happen but that would be cool Regardless, I'm getting off track here. Thor, I do agree, very much one-dimensional. Like for most of the movie, he's he he has growth, but it's it's until that last scene where he's walking up to the destroyer, ready to die, and telling Loki like kill me and let everybody else go. He just seems very one of my very. He's a god. He's a god. That's really just, yeah, that's his art. That's it. He's a god yeah. who's lost his power and wants his power back. You right. know, and. I do think the other moment where he has like a, a little bit of multidimensional is when he's sitting on that roof with Jane 
and he's explaining like the cosmos to her and he's like got her notebook and like he that he like just stole back and gave to her and he's like drawing in it showing her exactly like how all the realms work and everything and he's explaining it and like the quote i love is just how he talks about uh like magic and science are the same thing she says something about it and he says something as well magic and science are the same thing it's just like magic is science we don't understand yet mm-hmm. like i i love that and i just like really liked how he explains like the bifrost and how everything works and that scene in particular showed a little more for me because then now he's kind of accepted that he's mortal and he's accepted that now he's got kind of a new path if Loki never lets him back. And I just think that like, that's what leads toward the end when he like, cause that's him falling in love with Jane as well. And like at the end, why he ultimately would sacrifice himself for earth and why he becomes worthy again, which when he becomes worthy, that's when he realizes not everything needs to be a flight. Yep. Then he fights Loki and beats his ass on the Bifrost, puts the hammer on him. Yeah. And then becomes king. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you, did your opinion change at all? Like I said, I liked it a little bit better, but again, not really because of Thor or Jane, but like mostly because of Heimdall, Loki, Odin a little bit. Frigga actually, she has very few lines, but she's like, even in this first one, she's, pretty pivotal like i feel like in the second one she finally gets her like kind of moment of glory when she is defending jane and then ultimately dies and then obviously in endgame when she comes back like but in this one she's kind of comforting loki and vice versa when odin's in a coma and like the laufey shows up and then thor shows up to fight loki and that whole time, just the range of emotions she goes through. She goes through like sadness, fear, like just happiness when Thor comes back. Like it's very well done. And I think the actress does a great job of portraying it all. Mm-hmm. And I think like just the character development for some of it, not even just development, but just the character in some of them was just well done, which ultimately was that and the fact that iron man like you said they were trying to do too much didn't really love the villains um that's why i decided to bump thor up over it speaking of thor um the ending of dr strange was of course the or not the ending but the post-credit scene was him and thor talking about loki in new york so i thought that was a cool time but um dr strange um man i i definitely enjoyed it this time around a lot more than i did when i first saw it um i think that well to start off the movie i think it was really interesting that they painted him as very you could argue he's as arrogant if not more arrogant than tony he is an probably asshole more. he's an asshole definitely like he's a know-it-all he's definitely definitely essentially just with his job of being a neurosurgeon he kind of plays god yes he thinks he's god but right. he's, but like it's different from even thor 
because Thor is a god, right? And right. <laughs> and, right. and and Strange just thinks he's a god. Yeah, yeah. And he just he, he's honestly a terrible human being who just completely corrupted by money, even more so than Tony, in my opinion. So his this movie is so interesting because they had the tough task of going through his arc within two hours because you have to go from this purely arrogant money hungry know-it-all self-aggrandizer to someone who is supposed to be the sorcerer supreme of the earth to fend off you know multi-dimensional threats so i think that keeping in mind that they had to do that i think they did a pretty damn good job of you know, completing the arc and a lot of the touching moments throughout the film when, you know, he had to come back to, I forgot the actress's name. What's her name? Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams. Yeah. He had to come back to her when he's just been, you know, out there with the ancient one training because he had to get the little surgery. That was a nice little touching moment and them sharing uh, a peck on the cheek, which was wrong. He's going for the kiss, but she just gave him a peck on the cheek. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a nice little touching moment. And a lot of the moments with the pacing of it really landed. They did a very good job with that. Yes. Um, th- go ahead. No, I just think you're absolutely right. Like the pacing of that movie, like we were talking about Thor and Iron Man 2. I think the pacing of those movies are both like a little off. I think they both get a little slow point. I think Doctor Strange only gets slow when it needs to be. Right. And that's like three-fourths of the way in the movie for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely gets slower. Um, I think that even with this movie being five or six years old, it's still the best special effects out of any MCU movie, in my opinion. The special effects are breathtaking. I would agree that I would I would say there's one movie I would say more has better special effects. What would effects. you say? Spider-Man. Okay. I knew you were bringing no, that one scene, far from, home, right? far from home. Yeah, just one that scene. one scene, the one with Mysterio where he's dropping all the shit on him and puts him in the yeah. graveyard. But but overall, Doctor Strange definitely. Um, although I would say the Ant Man movies also have solid. Ant Man too. Ant Man's up there, especially mostly Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah, yeah, Ant Man and the Wasp for sure. But think about like Doctor Strange has three or four of those scenes. And Spider Man scene going like different directions and shit. Yeah, like even when the ancient one like knocks his astro body out of him that whole sequence was fucking outrageous they were supposed beautiful to watch they were supposed to do that in infinity war too where thanos like used the soul stone to knock everybody's astral form out and dr strange needed to work with spider-man to like web all the guardians and like mm-hmm. knock them knock them backwards so that their soul would fall back into their bodies mm. that's really interesting i didn't know that yeah, that was like. A, didn't go with that. Delete. I'm, I I wish they would have done that. I think. Yeah, it yeah, that would have been sick. In the comics, I think too. Mm. Or maybe it was just a storyboard. Either way, it looks yeah. sweet. Yeah, definitely. Anyways, sorry. And I'm um, oh, not. Nah, nah, it was it was definitely necessary. But just going back from him getting in that car accident, ironically, because he wanted to get the upper hand on the one surgeon that he can't stand. Right. For no reason at all. Well, it's the thing. And, Sorry, I'm cutting you off again. Oh, no. Go ahead. It's just uh, um, he doesn't want to do surgery on people. He doesn't want to save people. He doesn't give a shit about that person he's doing surgery on. He wants to prove that he's the best. 
Exactly. You know, and like he says, like they, the phone call he gets or whatever is saying like, oh, we have like a military sergeant that like just broke his spine, which is Rhodey. Like he had the opportunity to mm-hmm. fix Rhodey's spine. And he's like, nope, not a challenge and like swipes it away. And then. Yeah, he treats it like it's just some, like, he, he, he treats it like it's something small, like it's not someone's life. Right. That's the issue. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And he's so pompous that I feel like in a way he knows that he's the best. He just doesn't want, he just doesn't want anybody to sniff him. He doesn't want anybody to come close to him, which is right. exactly. an even bigger cardinal sin as a character flaw. So yeah, he's just fucked up all around. And it takes him, I, I like the fact that this movie, instead of just him getting in an accident immediately like, okay, I'm in this accident. I don't make as much money let me be a good person now they truly show him struggling with that like even after yeah even after his essay he's still an asshole he's still questioning things he's still like well to the ancient one he's like well i don't believe in this whole like energy and shaman shit like i need there needs to be actual science behind it like the fact that you're trying to regenerate shells like that's a that's an actual science i don't believe in this he called it um fuck what did he say the little store basically treated it like a store in an airport like the little that they sell you on yeah, yeah, yeah until she knocked his his astral body out and he's just it's a constant conflict for him it's not just a one and done so right. they fleshed him out very properly and i like the fact that this is actually it's quite a existential and philosophical movie if you think about it like the idea that things are bigger than you and um, life isn't dictated by moments, but it's dictated by fate. Yes. And how, how and when things are going to happen. And even when the ancient one dies, she talks about moments and how she it's, it's in humanity to prolong certain moments, even in death. Like it's a very philosophical film, but I think that it being so philosophical is actually its downfall. You think? I think that, yeah, I think that... Like it's just too complex? Yeah, I think that if you look at it in the scope of a typical MCU film that's supposed to reach like a wide range of people, yeah, I, I doubt <laughs> that anyone below the age of 19, 20 is going to fully care about just some of the existentialism in this movie yeah when it came out i definitely i still like don't i gotta watch it again because like the first time i watched it obviously i was young and like didn't not like that young but i was you know 19 and i didn't really appreciate it and like the most recent time like i didn't appreciate it and don't understand it like the most recent time i watched it i feel like i still didn't pick up on everything i feel like you still even like an adult would have to watch it a number of times to pick yeah, up everything definitely like the, the ideas that they try to communicate are pretty they're pretty lofty for a comic book movie mm-hmm. admittedly so like very lofty like even the idea of immortality through Dormammu like that alone is like that's that's pretty ambitious for an MCU film so I respect it but at the same time if I'm just like taking myself out of the equation I can understand how it could be boring to the general masses the casuals so right right right. Um, i think that that has to count for something and i really thought that it was refreshing that um 
this movie did a good job of making even the good people um, in a way complicit in evil. Like the ancient one essentially was the reason that we had the villain that we had in Doctor Strange because she used the dark realm to get the power of immortality. Right. So and she opened the door for that. Yeah. And I like that that's, I'm not, I got to think because in the comics, I don't think that's how it happens. I think Baron Mordo is just straight up evil in the comics to start. Yeah. That's but exactly I, what it is. But, I, but in this, it was unique because he started out as good and then realized like, oh, this person I respected so much did something like morally corrupt and now mm -hmm. I have to be evil. Mm -hmm. She lied. <laughs> yeah, she just said her lie. Right, right. Yeah. And was using the dark dimension. And I'm excited for them to explore the dark dimension and just everything like that in yeah. this new Doctor Strange movie. It's going to be- The dimensional things are so cool, like the mirror dimension. I like how he throws the whole ass mirror dimension at Thanos in Infinity War. That was so cool. That was so fucking cool, man. Oh, that was so cool. And then even um, just you, we see a lot of the time stone in there. And there's a lot of, um, I really appreciate the humor too. Like the humor wasn't too heavy handed. It was used very effectively. Yeah. Like when he first meets Juan, he's like, oh, Juan, like Adele, Bono, <laughs> <laughs> Drake, Eminem. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Yeah, a lot of funny moments. Yeah. Yeah. Like for as complex of a movie as it is, it's just like it does have quite a few moments where it's just like, hey, here's like a little joke. Mm -hmm. You know? Definitely. And I think it works well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's basically it. I really uh, I would put it in the maybe the 13 to 15 range, which is like mid-tier. I would say it's a mid-tier MCU movie, but I would say that, let me think. If we're just looking at origin films. You just said 13 to 15. Say, I have it at 14. Yeah. yeah <laughs> on my yeah, list. <laughs> definitely. I would say Iron Man. I still, I favor Black Panther, the Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I don't really care for Captain Marvel. Right. I don't care for Hulk. I don't care Obviously. for Thor necessarily. Right. I would, I guess, if we're dealing with, I guess you could throw the first Captain America in there. But to me, I prefer, watchability-wise, I prefer this to Captain America. But it's definitely top four for origin films in MCU to me. For top origins? I, I know Iron you Man. like Ant-Man too, though. Ant-Man. Yeah, I got Iron Man, yeah, Ant-Man, like Man. Black Panther. Spider-Man, Homecoming. See, is Homecoming? Homecoming is Homecoming's not really is an origin. Really no. an origin story. No, or his origin is Civil War. Really. Yeah. So I wouldn't even say that's an origin. So then, so Black Panther's three. Uh, is Guardians an origin story because it's multiple characters? It is. I'll give it as four. Yeah, I do know how you feel. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it would be fifth if we count Guardians. Then it would be fifth for me in terms of okay. origins. I feel you. Yeah, I just really enjoyed it. It's really just not the most accessible MCU film. And yeah, that's pretty much it. It can be a bit convoluted. I think it's necessary, though, honestly. Like, I think there's so many Marvel movies that are just so easily accessible. Not that it shouldn't be. Like, having a movie that's always accessible is always a good thing. But I think throwing in a complex one here or there, one that's a little more violent here or there, or one that's a little more like heavy handed with like the language or whatever, like anything 
especially now that we're getting introduced to like Deadpool and Blade and you know all these characters that are either super violent or super vulgar or whatever mm-hmm. and then like we'll talk about Invincible more next week but I just started watching it and obviously you're you've watched it already seeing the trend of things getting violent like that I wouldn't mind throwing in like movies that are more complex one way or the other whether it's logically and like just fundamentally complex or if it's complex in terms of like the fights and Mm. things like that so i i do like the fact that dr strange is a little more Mm. i think daredevil really hits the sweet spot of complex perfect yes it absolutely does it absolutely does but that's one more thing i do think that in typical marvel fashion it does kind of suffer from the climax not being so climaxy it's anticlimactic in a way with how they defeat what's his name malakith malakith yeah no no no, wait 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 wait. malakith is thor 2 no yeah are you thinking about mads mickelson yeah mads mickelson he did a good job he's coming back is he in dr strange in the second one awesome yeah awesome i hope that they uh what is his name? Something in the Zealots. Yeah. K, that's what it is. Cassilius. 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 Yeah. Um, I really thought that the Dormammu scene was really funny, of course. But <laughs> I guess in the grand scheme of things, I don't know. Like him basically making the deal that um, he can't come back to Earth and have his Zealots there if he doesn't want to relive this cyclical thing. Right. I don't know. Now I, the I time do. stone's gone, though, so Dormammu could always come back in this new Doctor Strange movie. True. True. And be like, fuck you, there goes your time stone. Yeah, he could. He could. Good point. Good point. I don't know. But I do, I think what it suffers from is like, again, I was talking about universe building when I was talking about Iron Man. They really just wanted to showcase the power of the time stone just for Infinity War. Because they wanted to be like, oh, Doctor Strange just gave up this for to beat Thanos. Mm-hmm. And like so, so that's all it was. It was just to showcase how powerful the time stone was that it could beat Dormammu just on its own. And also like Doctor Strange to show how much he changed. Because like he's being so selfless, getting murdered over and over and over again. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And the movie really tries to emphasize just how self-inflated he is like oh you're willing to risk your life you know like they right. use a lot of your in the movie yeah to showcase yes. that. so yeah good movie um i definitely like a lot more than i did before and i agree with you it was definitely 13 to 15 in the scope of the mc all right well next is ant-man my last movie i'll be talking about today one of my favorite movies in the MCU, honestly, like uh, objectively, unobjectively, unobjectively, I have it ranked number five. I don't necessarily think it's the fifth best movie, but it's my fifth favorite movie um, in the MCU. I just love it. I've It's the movie I've seen the most out of all the MCU movies. It's very light, which I think a lot of people would critique about it is how light it is, but I appreciated it. I appreciated it being light. I love Paul Rudd. I love Michael Pena. I love Michael Douglas. Just being like the 
like antithesis of who Paul Rudd is. Everything. Evangeline Lilly was a great wasp, even though she didn't really get to assume the form of the wasp in this. She was great at being like the clash between her and Hank was amazing because that was another critique this movie's gotten a lot is that like the overbearing father cliche where he doesn't want his daughter to get hurt because that's how he lost his wife. But I think it works. I don't mind that. Yeah. I think, I know you don't love Yellow Jacket as a villain. I do not. <laughs> but I, and I think the way he becomes a villain is kind of, you know, he's egotistical and then he puts on the helmet and that just drives him crazy, which I think that's kind of, it's like a quick way to make him into a villain. Like, I think he was a douchebag first, like regardless. Mm-hmm. But I think saying, oh, he didn't do the helmet right, so it's messing with his brain chemistry is also another cop-out. Like, I think it's just like, how do we expedite this to make him a villain quicker? And they're like, let's make the helmet make him crazy. Yeah, and yeah that's really just what it was. Yeah, and I think, I think other than that, he was a like good villain. I think he was calculated. I think he was kind of like uh, the same way Dr. Doom has his origin like being angry at another scientist for being better and like he just wants to be the best and he feels disrespected by Pym and he wants to show him that he can be the same. He can be better even. It's the Iron Man thing. It's like a scientist thing. It, it, it is. Same as Iron Man. Someone always feels even. sliding. Like, like it's always someone feeling like they could have been more had they been given some opportunity that they didn't, it wasn't like a guaranteed opportunity. It was just like right. one that they thought they earned. But that's my issue, but I'm not to cut you off, but no, it's not. Uh, I really feel like even though I love all three of these superheroes and arguably they have, you know, the best two or three movies out of the, the whole MCU, I really feel like Ant-Man's villains, Spider-Man's villains, and Iron Man's villains are all like very like someone is slided, like Mysterio slided. Right. You know, he's trying to, right. you have Iron Man slided, you have all the villains and even Lawrence Fishburne and Ant-Man and the Wasp slided, you know? Yeah. It's a typical right. motif. Right. Villain. I'm excited to see what they do with Lawrence Fishburne to see if they make Bill Foster, if they let him be Goliath. I really want it to happen or at least let him find a new like successor to be Goliath. Right. Although I think his successor will probably end up being Stature. Ghost. Oh, stature, really? I think I think hmm. he's gonna train Ghost and stuff, but I think the next like giant man type Goliath type character is gonna be Cassie Lang. Um, okay, but I I really really want to see him as Goliath, and I would still like to see Pym honestly as Ant Man. I don't think it's gonna happen just because like he's old, and I I really don't see it happening with with bill foster either but that would be cool Mm. um and i I would love to see it but i yeah like i said i don't know i think in this first movie scott's relationship with his daughter is hilarious his relationship with paxton is hilarious and his ex-wife judy greer um also very funny but i think just like that's the beginning of his complexity that's where in a moment where he usually turns to crime he turns to crime once again but this time it's a crime that was set up by the quote unquote victim because he wanted him to steal the suit. Ironically enough, like his crime, 
he's doing a, like he's he's doing a crime in an effort to help his daughter and then that crime ironically turns him into a superhero and he steals the suit he puts it on learns from michael douglas and evangeline lily and like now he's got to steal this yellow jacket suit before Darren can mass produce these things and put a bunch of people in them and have them all lose their minds because the man doesn't know how to make a helmet, which again, dumb premise, dumb pre- And I get why you don't like yellow jacket as a villain, because that is a real, like, it, it makes sense to, to like hate the fact that that's why he ultimately goes over the edge is because his helmet doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But I think once you get past that and you see him as a villain, he's got the suit. I think the suit looks great. I think the fact that it's the Ant-Man suit with lasers is pretty sweet. I think the bit where they, he like Scott kicks him into the bug trap was Mm -hmm. funny. And I'm Mm -hmm. glad that's not how it ended because that would have been the worst ending ever. The scene with the Thomas, the tank engine is hilarious. Just the whole movie whether it's like laugh out loud hilarious or just like funny because oh that's like clever like when he hits the thomas the tank engine with the grow thing and it blows up through the house it's it's just a funny moment like it's not like to me not laugh out loud hilarious but it's just like that's incredible like that's an incredible that's incredible writing to me like that's another thing i always appreciate is how the writers spin these things and are like what can we do that would be just like a shocking moment and they're like let's make a children's toy explode through a house and like crash on the ground and i think the team is great i think kurt dave and obviously louise louise steals the show speaking of funny funniest character in the whole thing is louise like easily 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 like you cast paul rudd as your main guy and michael pena upstages him like paul rudd's still very funny michael pena though so subtle like the whistling and just like him wanting to be in the system and him having the power to knock out any man with his fist is hilarious again that there's no better word i can use and i feel like i'm overusing the word but like just the entire movie beginning to end is just very funny and mm-hmm. i think that michael like the michael Payne knocking guys out like came back when did it come back he did it again, I think, in Ant-Man. Oh, no, it started at the beginning of Ant-Man where he's like, oh, how did your fight with Peachy go? And he's just like, oh, you know, he says something about I'm still the only guy to knock him out or whatever. And that's just mm-hmm. like a throwaway line. And you find out by the end of the movie he's actually knocking dudes out like with one punch every single time. Yeah, he's the OG one-punch man, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But But yeah, I just think it's a fun movie. It's lighthearted. And you talked about Dr. Strange not being a movie that everyone's going to understand. Ant-Man's the opposite where it is something that's very simple, but in like a, very much a family movie, both the viewership and the story. Mm. Um, yeah, they do a really good job of leaning into the humor too, especially with it being like Ant-Man just if you just look at the hero as is is someone who can like change sizes like that's pretty comical so i like the fact that they lean into that yes great and i think yeah like when 
it's one of the last movies I didn't see in theaters. Um, as much as it's like one of my favorites, it's that and Doctor Strange, I think, were the last two movies I didn't see in theaters. Um, which Doctor Strange would have been incredible to see in theaters. Oh my God, it was <laughs> a treat. Um, but just like I didn't take Ant-Man seriously. I didn't even see Ant-Man until after Civil War. I was like, holy shit, I got to watch Ant-Man now. And so like, that's the whole reason I did. And it, I don't know. I just love that movie so much. I just love it so much. And the scene with um, where he's working at Baskin Robbins and he uh, he's got his name tag and it says, uh, what's his name tag say? I forget, but his name tags his son's name on the name tag. Cause he's like undercover <laughs> or whatever. And then he, and then he calls out to like his coworker Darby and Darby's his daughter's name. And I just thought like the fact that he put both of his kids in that one scene is just really like cute. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. There's not much more to say. I feel like I didn't even say anything about this movie other than it's hilarious, which it is. You love it. Yeah, I get I it. You do. It. Yeah. I do. And I, I think, it. I think even just like the, the art around this movie and the art around the sequel too, is so good like mm-hmm. i think the yellow jacket suit design is phenomenal like the Man suit design pheno- like i think the little diorama that cross has of his new building once he tears down the pim thing i think hank with the tank keychain and mm-hmm. like he gets shot and they escape in the tank and paxton standing there he's like and there's a tank and like it's just good it's just <laughs> This is fun. It's just such a treat to enjoy. It you is. just want to throw something on. Cassie's like feeding the ant broccoli like it's a dog. Like, <laughs> yeah, that ant is hysterical. Dude. Yeah, and you're playing drums in the next one. Like, <laughs> yeah. They, they find a, a lot of ways, and I really appreciate how even when it's not an Ant-Man movie, like when it's Infinity War, well, he wasn't in Infinity War. When it's Endgame, though, like they still he's still just as goofy of a character still silly like honestly the only critique i have of ant-man is that we don't see um hank as ant-man that much like we see him in the one flashback um when he's you know obviously when his wife went into the quantum realm but that's it and i wish we would see more of hank as ant-man and again when you get to the second one, see more Bill Foster as Goliath. Mm-hmm. Don't know if either of those things are going to happen, but I think it would be awesome. Yeah. And I do think Hank's going to die in this next movie, though, in this next anime movie. Definitely. I think to establish Kang as a major threat, someone needs to die. Someone big, yeah. I think Hank is a big enough character and a beloved enough character by like the comic book fans but also in terms of the movies and scope of the movies, it's not like you're killing off Scott Lang, right? Like you still have your Ant-Man. You just, the original also, OG. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I would anticipate that, but. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I think Darren Cross has the most disrespectful, um, dis- most disrespectful murder in the whole MCU when he blasts that guy with the, faulty shrink gun and turns him into a little blob and then flushes him down the toilet Most disrespectful murder. yeah i'm pissed in heaven <laughs> wherever i was like what the fuck this flushes the man like as a <laughs> right. little, 
goob. You didn't even have the dignity to kill me, the regular <laughs> size. Right. That's crazy. That's okay. Yeah. But yeah, so that's my uh, Ant Man synopsis slash review. Anything? Do you have anything you'd want to add to it? No, I, I fully understand your love for it. However, <laughs> how you feel about the first Ant Man is how I feel about the second one. Uh, I truly appreciate the first Ant Man, but I feel like the second one does everything the first Ant Man does just way better, in my opinion. I think that I just feel like it's it's funnier. Like there's so many more moments, and I think that Ti and um, the other actor who always plays like some form the Russian guy. dude yeah yeah I thought they were hysterical um I think that it suffers from some of the same problems like the villains are still kind of eh but at least in this movie you deal more with the quantum realm mm-hmm. so they're a little bit more consequential um I liked even the fight choreography I feel like that was better and how they used like the sizing up and down the kitchen scene was incredible with Evangeline Lilly uh-huh. when she went to go um, confront Walter Goggins about the deal. Um, ghosts, like the concept of ghosts was so interesting because it kind of reminded me of Matrix, one of the Matrix movies with the brothers who could like phase uh-huh. in between objects. So I thought that was really cool, really dope. Um, I thought that the pacing in the first Ant-Man was phenomenal, but I feel like they had a lot more to pack into Ant-Man and the Wasp, especially considering that they were dealing with, um, you know, Jane Pym. They were adding her in and they had to deal with the quantum realm and they had to deal with, they still had to um, maintain Cassie and Scott's relationship and Scott was dodging woo. (laughs) The introduction to woo. Yeah. Oh my God. Another funny hysterical, like, yeah. The ants, the ant and drum scene just gets me because the look on Michael Douglas's face is just like, are you a fucking kid? Like, <laughs> where are you 15? <laughs> like how he, he does it's not even the only time he does this, the time when he's like, you want a juice box or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the little moments where he's like, hey Scott, do you think you could stop hitting on my daughter, my daughter so we could go ahead and five do seconds? <laughs> Can you guys stop staring into each other's eyes and then long <laughs> enough so we can get away from the cop? <laughs> Yo, and then even the school scene when like his um his device is faulty. Yeah. It's like he shrinks to the side of a toddler and he's wearing that big ass hoodie. That hoodie, yeah. Hysterical. It was so funny. <laughs> so many funny moments. Um Do you want a juice box? And he's like, Do you really have that? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you serious? <laughs> Oh my god. Um, I also think it has at least a top five post-credit scene in MCU history. That oh, post-credit scene was so good. The most so devastating good. post-credit scene in Oh MCU my god. Scene. Him just repeating their names. Guys, stop playing. Are you guys joking around? So good. Yeah. Um, and I think that Ant-Man, just both of them arguably are the most rewatchable things in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Like you could just throw them on at any time. Absolutely. Just- just coast honestly right and still enjoy it the same as that way because it's like that's that's my thing like i really appreciate like comedy shows i've already seen a million times because it's just rewatchable mm-hmm. and and it's not something i have to be focused on it's not like a movie where i have to be focused on it whereas like these movies having seen them so many times that's why i've seen it man so many times because i can just pop it on and do whatever right right 
yeah, I don't really have too much to say about Ant-Man 2. It's just such a simple and fun movie that's kind of like, I just, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I would say that it's my top three as far as rewatchability for the MCU. I still have Homecoming, number one, because I just love Homecoming. I love it. I could watch it. I could honestly watch it two or three times in a day for about a week, nonstop. I love it. Absolutely. That much. It's, and that I is, would say the two Ant-Man. Yeah, that is a very rewatchable movie as well. Yeah. Um, like you said quantum realm though is like cute like as funny as that movie is too it's also got more serious implications like mm-hmm. first one has like a little bit of serious implication but like quantum realm is like major major that's the next phase exactly yeah yeah so it's it's a lot yeah i i think for this this was what made our rewatching things so interesting is the fact that you have to assess mm-hmm. these movies from like the scope of a fan and then having seen the rest of the movies, like how much consequence it has. Right. You know? So I, I thought that with this rewatch, it really, um, that's that's just the interesting part about it. You got to kind of balance those two. Or I try to at least. We've talked about that one deleted scene from Ant-Man and the Wasp, right? Where it's Janet and Hank in the quantum realm. And they, uh, they just like stop. And there's like a voice that tells or that says like what are you doing here and like janet's just like we're just passing through and he's like you can pass yeah i, I think you did you told me about that i don't remember I'm who thinking, you thought the voice was i had no idea but now i'm thinking you think it's kang Ooh, maybe it was because if he's like the master of the quantum realm yeah i wish they wouldn't have deleted that scene i wish it was like canon it was still time variance authority didn't catch up with them around that time either so yeah he would just be having free reign that's interesting it could have been him i wonder how they're gonna tie that in if if they do at all i would like to see that become canon at some point but we'll see yeah i don't even know if it's still canon like i know some deleted scenes they consider canon even though they were removed from the movie mm-hmm. um so i'm wondering if they consider that canon or not hmm yeah i know i guess we'll see fascinating yeah this is great i i thoroughly enjoyed this was um i'm happy we're doing this This yeah great yeah and so like i'll do iron man 3 and you'll do uh homecoming homecoming and then i can do endgame if you want infinity war and then the rest we can just randomize yeah let's do that for randomized audition yeah that's perfect all right then i will throw them in the randomizer after this and cool yeah and thank you everyone for listening once again and we will talk to you soon peace greatest podcast on the fucking planet <laughs> <laughs>